Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Okay, to start with today, uh, I, I want to, uh, uh, John Howard, stand up, and uh, Shane Snyder, stand up. I, I want to thank them for being our Duck Dynasty lookalikes today. <laughs> as, uh, <laughs> as we go on in the service, you, you can tell the, uh, the, the service today is really focused on Operation Christmas Child, and, and some other things you'll see as we go uh, into it. By, by the way, second thing I meant to mention, besides joking with them, if you did happen to pack some explosives in your boxes, you need to come back and get them, and uh, you need to take them home, and you need to repack them without the explosives, without the fireworks and things like that, and then, uh, and then bring them back. If, uh, as I said earlier, if you forgot yours, you've got a chance to bring it uh, this week. Um, going to be really kind of different type of message. I'm, I'm going to walk through some some pictures with you to start with and share with you some uh, kind of information, some some testimonies from Operation Christmas Child uh, before I actually get into uh, kind of a small message for you today. But uh, we saw this image, this graphic, uh, a few weeks ago when we first played a video this year about Operation Christmas Child. <clears throat> that's, that's really amazing to me that since 1993, more than 100 million shoe boxes have been collected for children across the world. And they say if you were to stack that up, that's 26 times higher uh, than the Empire State Bill. I mean, that's just an amazing thought that that many shoe boxes have gone out worldwide. And the reason that uh, Samaritan's Purse uh, does this ministry is to really bring joy to the world. You know, we talk about that at Christmas time, and uh, that's that's the reason behind it. They want to touch the lives of children, uh, give children some hope that maybe they do not have uh, in, in their lives. Let them know that someone is thinking about them, uh, such as this child here. You can see the joy in his face as he receives these shoe boxes. After the shoe boxes are delivered, uh, each child that receives a shoe box has the opportunity to go through a 12-week discipleship program. Now, that does not mean that they say, well, if we give you a box, you have to come for discipleship. They, they don't do that. It's up to the child. They're not trying to manipulate them or anything like that. But uh, they get to go through a, a program that's called the, the Greatest Journey. And as they go through the Greatest Journey, they are introduced to what uh, who Jesus Christ is, what Jesus uh, did for them, and, and other discipleship uh, things that they really need to know. And then at the end of... Uh, going through this study and I'll let him uh, finish with some of the pictures on the study here but at the end of finishing the study at the end of 12 weeks they have a graduation uh, that that takes place and um, I knew they kind of had a graduation, but I didn't realize they go to the extent that they do uh, with the graduation. Because if you'll see in the next picture, they give them robes and everything. It looked like a high school graduation or something uh, at, at the end of this study that these children uh, go through. And uh, they'll walk you through some of the pictures that you can see uh, there. I mean, it looks, uh, especially the next picture, man, it looked like a high school graduation, doesn't everybody slinging stuff in the air and, uh, and everything like that. But, uh, it, it's done in order to, to help them be introduced to Jesus Christ. It's not just about giving them a box with some nice trinkets in it. Uh, it's about trying to deal with their hearts and, and show them what Jesus can do for them. And it doesn't just impact the child. Many times it impacts the child's families also. 
Two or three testimonies I want to share with you before we actually get into the message. There's a young boy in Ecuador. Uh, his name is Angel. And we'll leave that picture up for a moment. Uh, Angel uh, led his grandmother, was used uh, by God in, to be central in helping to lead his grandmother to Christ. Uh, as I said, he, he lives in Ecuador. He had the chance to go to a Christmas celebration that one of the local churches were uh, holding. And while he was there, he got a uh, box and he came home and told his grandmother because his grandmother was his caregiver, not his parents, and she was responsible for him. And he came back and told his grandmother, uh, I heard about the love of God. And then he said, I've received a, a box of gifts for boys. And the grandmother, you know, was glad to see him happy, but she was a little bit apprehensive because she didn't know a lot about the church and didn't know what the church necessarily taught. And in her mind, she thought that she believed in God. And uh, he asked if he could go to this study, this 12-week discipleship program. And she did not want him to because she just did not know everything that was going on. One day, one of the teachers of, of the greatest journey at that church was walking through the village and happens to see Angel and his grandmother outside. So he goes up and begins to talk to them. I said, why don't you let Angel come? And, and she was saying, well, you know, no, I just don't know what's going on. And if I, if I do let him come, I'm going to have to go with him, which ultimately is what happened. Because when she looked at Angel's face and saw the anticipation and the joy that he had of, of the chance of trying to go to this study, she agreed to let him go, but she said, I have to go along and be sure everything's okay, which was a good thing. <laughs> because after they'd been to a, a, a couple of studies, the next week, this grandmother and angel showed up early before the study happened and talked to the teacher and said, will you tell us how to trust in Jesus as a Savior? And angel spoke up and said, I've already did that. I did it at the Christmas celebration. And then... This teacher led the grandmother of Christ. So these boxes will go not just to children, but potentially impact families. Another story is from Haiti. In Haiti, the year after the earthquake took place, they had 10,000 children to graduate this greatest journey study. Just in Haiti, 10,000 children went through this program. You remember a few years ago, back in January the, the 12th, uh, 2010, they had such a strong earthquake that happened there. This little girl by the name of Stephanie, she was 10 years old, and um, about a year later, she gets a chance to go through this study, and she's on the way to the graduation, and she's worried about getting her dress dirty because her mother said, don't get your dress dirty, and she's trying to avoid the dust and dirt and things like that on the way to a small church. During the earthquake, her dad and sister were killed in the earthquake. But through a shoebox, she finds out about the love of Jesus, goes through the discipleship program, trusting Jesus as her Savior. She arrives at the door of this little church, and there's a 12-year-old that she was friends with by the name of Emmanuel. And Emmanuel's dad was a voodoo priest who abused him and his brother a lot. The mother had left, and this voodoo priest's dad would not let the children go. Then eventually he recanted and, and allowed them to go. And through that process, Emmanuel had the chance to go to this study. And he talked about, like in the story of Job, and Emmanuel said, he, he suffered, Job suffered like me and my brother. And Emmanuel, in 
Stephanie on that same day in the small church that they attended, close to 140 children graduated. And in that same week, 10,000 children graduated from that study in Haiti. The teachers there talked about how it changed the people, how many people were brought into the church, how it changed the attitude of the children. Another picture, a young boy by the name of Awa. Awa lived in a uh, village near Cameroon, Africa. And uh, while uh, he was there, he had the chance also to receive a shoebox and go through the discipleship program. And he received Christ as his Savior. And one of the photographers from Samaritan's Purse happened to be there, uh, kind of journaling everything by making pictures. And he had the chance to meet Awa and everything. And here he makes this picture of Awa after Awa becomes a Christian, sharing his faith with a grown man. And while he's sharing his faith with a grown man, other children come and they listen in as Awa shares the faith that he has in Jesus Christ because he went through this study. Most of the children that go through the study receive a Bible in their own language also at the time they, they, they graduate the program. Over one million children have graduated from the greatest journey to date. More than 650,000 have made decisions to follow Jesus because we're sending out shoeboxes. Pretty important, don't you think? Pretty significant. All this information about Operation Christmas Child is, is really to get us to the point where I, I want to talk to you the rest of the service this morning about why we need to pack hope ourselves. And when I talk about packing hope in a box, I'm not just talking about these shoe boxes. Because you see, if you're a Christian, God has packed His hope inside of you. And we need to carry His hope to a lost world. We need to unpack hope for people around us. Not just across the world through these shoe boxes, but we need to unpack hope from our lives to our neighbors and people we work with and people we come in, in contact with because we have a hope that many people in the world do not have. And a lot of people, just like these children, are, are without hope. I want to give you a couple of main reasons today why we should pack hope in our lives for others. First one is this, the hope that we have experienced, the reason we ought to impact hope for others is because the hope we have experienced as Christians. If you know Christ is your Savior, you have hope inside of you. You've experienced hope, and that ought to motivate. The hope that you have should motivate you, it should motivate me, it should motivate us to, to pack hope for other people because of what God has done for us. We ought to realize other people need the same thing and have the desire to give people the same hope that we have. I want to give you about three reasons why we ought to do that. First of all, as Christians, we've been born again to a living hope according to the Bible. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. See, if you know Christ as your Savior, all of that is true of you. Because we've been born again, because of what Christ did for us on the cross, we have a hope that we can share with others. 
Because we've been born again, it's said to a living hope. Not something that's dead, not something that's meaningless, but we have this living hope primarily because Jesus, after he went to the cross and died for our sins, he took his own life back up through the resurrection from the dead. Because he lives, we have hope that we shall live forever. Because the Bible promises us who are believers that we've got this inheritance in heaven that will never, ever, ever fade away. All those things should motivate us to try and give hope to other people. We also ought to be motivated to give hope to others because as Christians, the Bible tells us that we've got an unshakable, eternal hope. In Hebrews it says, So that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie. Man, that's a huge one, isn't it? Aren't you glad that's true? Because if it were possible for God to lie, I may have a question mark. Well, is this Jesus stuff true? If I believe in him, will I really go to heaven when I die? Will God really forgive me? Is there really a place called heaven? Is there really a place called hell? You know, if, if we thought God could lie to us. But because God cannot lie, it's impossible for him to lie, we, we fled to him for refuge and we have this strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. As believers, we've got this hope that, that we can hold to for all eternity. He says we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Now, in the Old Testament, you've got a picture of the tabernacle or the temple, either one, and, and there's this curtain, and then on the other side of it represented the presence of God. But what, he, what he's saying, being said here by the Hebrews writer is this. Those of us who have faith in Jesus, we've got a hope that's as real as though you have an anchor already thrown over into heaven. When, when a ship throws an anchor down, when a boat puts an anchor down, it holds it to that spot. But the writer of Hebrews is telling us as believers, we have a hope that's already anchored in heaven. It's as though we're already there. It's already behind the veil. It's already on the other curtain, but beyond the curtain. In the very presence of God, Jesus has already gone there as a forerunner on our behalf. But because we have that kind of hope, a hope that's like we've got an anchor in heaven already, we ought to... We ought to be motivated to share hope with others because other people don't have that hope. We also ought to be motivated to share hope with others because as Christians we need to remember we ourselves were once without hope. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, for as I know that's all of us, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, talking about the Jews, which was made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. So for for us, for all of us, there was a time in our lives that we did not have hope. There's a time that we were separated literally from Christ because of our sin. And he says we were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, not just Israel, but alienated from God. It said, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's where you used to be without Jesus. That's where I used to be without Christ. We need to stop and remember what it was like before we knew Christ as our Savior. And understand there are people who still do not know Christ as their Savior. And that ought to motivate us that because we do now and we remember what it was like beforehand that we want to share hope with the lost and dying world. He said, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once 
afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. If you're a Christian, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you've been brought near to God by the blood of Jesus. But multitudes of people have not. Multitudes, multitudes of people do not have the hope that you have in your heart right now if you're a Christian. That's why the experience that we have of hope in our lives should motivate us to share hope with others. But not only that, not just that. We need to actually look at others. We need to see the need that other people have. We need to understand the hope that other people need in their lives to experience. The same hope that we have. Other people need that hope and that ought to compel us to pack hope for others. It's not just thinking about what we've experienced. It's thinking about what they have not experienced. And that should compel us to try and deliver hope like Operation Christmas Child. And so many other things we can do to try and bring hope to someone's life. King David wrote something in Psalm 142. And I I heard a missionary preach a message on this years ago, just a little while after I'd been called into the ministry. And man, it's always stuck in my gut. Because David here is going to share about a time when he was filled with despair. And the truth of the matter is there are multitudes of people in the world today that despair without any hope whatsoever. They don't have the same hope that we have. Listen to the words of of David. It says when he was in a cave. That's the little statement that's before the psalm when you read it in your Bible. We don't know why he was in the cave. Some people say it's when he was running from Saul. Some say when he was running from Absalom, his own son. Some say when he was trying to hide from another enemy. No one knows for sure, but we do know he was in a cave and he was very much filled with despair. He said, with my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, he's saying, you know the way. God, you know the way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see, there is no one who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. David at that point in his life, because of his circumstances, was saying, God, no one here cares. I need you to help me because there's no one here at all that cares. Have you ever felt like that yourself? And the reality of it is there are people all across the world right now that feel like no one cares. Some of these children that receive these shoeboxes through Operation Christmas Child, many of them probably think no one really cares. That they don't have a refuge, they do not have a a, a place to turn, a place to, to run to. I want to remind you of something to set this in context a little bit. This same David that is so much in despair, he's the same one that stepped out with a slingshot and killed a giant. In other words, there might be a little warning there for us. Just because you think you can deal with some things and think you've had some victories in your life in some ways, I promise you, you can turn around the next moment and face despair in your life. David could kill a giant, but he couldn't even prop his own life up. 
So here he's, he's crying out for God to do something. He's crying out for God to, to answer and, and, to, and to make a difference. He, he told God he was in trouble. And the word that's used here for trouble means to be in a, in a tight place, to be in a narrow strait, to be under pressure. It speaks of things closing in upon you and causing pressure in your life. You've been there before. You've had things hit your life to where it just seems like it crowds in on you. That's what David is saying. And he's looking up for help, but he couldn't see any immediate help anywhere near him. And in great despair, David feels like no one cares for his soul. We'll bring up the first picture and then I'll say something about the rest before we bring them up. There are children like that across this world that are kind of looking for hope. And looking to see if anybody cares. I'm going to warn you before I bring up the next pictures. They're not fun. And they're not funny. And you may not want to look at them. And I'm giving you a warning just in case you think, I think I'm going to look away, but I want to challenge you. You need to look at a real world because I'm going to show you some pictures right now from a real world that children face. Like this one. And the next, that's a picture of a child's hand in the hand of a missionary. Maybe the arm's about as big around, not quite as big around as his thumb. And the next picture. And the next. And the next one. And the next one. That is a vulture waiting for a little child to die. Not fun to look at. But it's part of why we need to do things like this to bring hope into the lives of children all around this world. We, we're so detached from those kinds of images in America that, that we're almost numb to it. We don't realize what the rest of the world is like in many places. That's why we need to be confronted with that reality, because there are multitudes of people across the world that are filled with despair, like David said he was. But David goes on in that same psalm, and he says this, I cry to you, Lord, I I say you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of the prison, talking about the cave, that I may give thanks to your name. And then notice what he says, the righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. That's the hope that David had. I'd submit to you that today we've got the opportunity, through things like opera, Eastern Christmas child for us to be the righteous as the church as Christians we can be the righteous that surround people who are without hope 
who can bring hope to their lives by being engaged in ministry, not just across this globe, but down the street from where you live, under the bridges in our local towns where homeless people live. That's why in January, and you don't have to wait till January till we say, hey, it's time to do it. You want to go now, we can find things for you to do now. I'm just telling you, we need to engage our world around us and understand there are multitudes of people without hope. And, and we need to be the righteous that show up and give them hope. And try and surround them with hope. Another reason why we need to allow the need for other people that they have in their lives for hope to compel us to pack hope for them is this other people's hope need of hope it's too important for us to put off it's too important for us just to kick it down the road and say one day we'll do something about it proverbs 13 verse 12 says this hope deferred makes the heart sick in other words if someone has hope if they've got this, this need, they've got this desire, they have hope, but it keeps being deferred, it keeps being cut off, it, it keeps being kicked down the road a little ways, then what it does is cause a person to be emotionally distraught and sick in their heart because the hope that they're longing for keeps disappearing, keeps walking away. And in some terms, as we saw in those photographs, the hope that those kids had, maybe just to have something to eat, is being kicked down the road. And they're not just having emotional sickness in their heart and depression and despair in their heart. They, they're little, literally physically sick. They've got a hope they want to see fulfilled. And their hope is not like the American hope. Their hope it. Something that we think of about Christmas is not a nice Christmas tree with huge packages all under the tree. The hope for these children that we're talking about across the world is not a new video game or designer clothes. Their hope when they go to bed at night is just to have enough food to eat the next day and basic needs and clothing and water to get them by to the next day. And many times they... Go to night wishing, go to bed at night wishing for that, and they get up the next day, and their hope keeps getting deferred and keeps getting deferred and keeps getting deferred, and it's put down the road. But on the other hand, if we can somehow bring hope to them, it says, but a desire fulfilled is like a tree of life. Instead of them having depression and sickness and discouragement in their lives, so much that it's like their heart is sick within them. Instead, if we can fulfill their hope. It's like we give a tree of life to them. Another reason why we need to look at others and understand the hope that they need is this. Providing hope for others is part of God's eternal purpose. In other words, we don't have to vote about it. We don't have to think about it. We don't have to ask God, God, do you really want us to do things like this? <laughs> He's already told us. Meeting the needs of the poor, meeting the needs of people is part of his eternal purpose. In Psalm 9 verse 18 it says, For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. And I know one day ultimately that will be true, thank God, through the gospel of Jesus and through people knowing him and going to heaven and completely having all their needs met for all eternity as they worship God and as they're there in that, in that intimate relationship and fellowship with him to all eternity. I understand that's ultimately true in that setting, but it can also be true and it needs to be true in the setting in which we live today. 
God wants us to do something about the needs of people. Job said this, So the poor have hope, and injustice shuts her mouth. You understand, we can let God use us in such a way that we can shut the mouth of injustice in this world if we will do what we can to serve Christ and minister to other people, not just in foreign lands, but down the street, around the corner, where you work at, where you shop at. There are people all around us with despair, people that need hope. They need the hope of the gospel. And then the last reason is this. I'll bring that one back up. I don't need to jump over that. I'm sorry. Caring for souls, caring for the poor, caring for other people, by the way, is the job of the church. Not the world and not social services. If the church had been being the church that God wants us to be, all through the existence of the church, you wouldn't even have a need for social services. Wouldn't even exist. If the church was doing everything that it should to care for people and take care of people to the degree that we should throughout the history of the church, we wouldn't be debating Obamacare in this day and time. So before we get mad at the rest of the world, we better get upset ourselves and get upset at the church because it's our job to care for souls and care for people. Last thing, and then we'll close. Packing hope for others, we need to also view it as though it is an act of worship. Don't view it as something that you have just frivolously done because we ask you to go and, and take these boxes and fold them into boxes and go and buy items for a little boy or a little girl and bring it here and just lay it there and think, well, you know, I, I, I kind of did what I was supposed to do. You see, it's, it's not just about this little boy. The one I picked up happens to be for a little boy. It's not just about him. It's, it's also about Jesus because what we do for him is an act of worship to him. And that will change the way we look at, at how we serve Him. I did not know when Scott came in last week, he was going to say some verses and, and stories and things. We focused on a whole lot, didn't he, And what he shared with us last week. He, he talked some about, you know, the, uh, the prodigal son. You've not heard much about him lately, have you? Scott comes in and talks about that in, you know, in part of his message. He also used a scripture I used about two weeks ago where Jesus said, if you do it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. This isn't just about this little boy or these little boys and girls that are represented here. It's about an act of worship. So I was getting ready to do this mini-series this week and next week. I just kind of, you know, did a, a search in my Bible study software on box. And, of course, I came across this. And I understand the truest intent of this box and, and how I'm using it today is not the full meaning of it. Because the story behind it is this lady comes in and, and she has this, you know, alabaster box that has very expensive ointment in it. And she breaks it and she anoints the head of Jesus. And Jesus said himself the reason for it was to prepare him for his death, for his burial. So I understand that was the real reason why it happened, but I also believe this. I don't know that that woman coming in with this alabaster box had in her mind that she's anointing Jesus for his burial. I think she comes in just with this extravagant act of worship and love. And she breaks this open, and it was valued so much. Some of the disciples are kind of saying, man, that's wasteful. We could have used it some other way, you know, especially Judas. He wanted to control that money a little bit, you know. But Jesus said, truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, the whole world 
in the whole world. What she has done will also be told in, in memory of her. These boxes that are about to be sent out. They're going to last for a long time. Because there will be some children that get these boxes that will never, ever, ever be able to forget that somebody sent it to them. And some of the children that get these boxes will come to faith in Jesus Christ and they will never, ever, ever, ever get over the impact of this little shoebox because they come to faith in Jesus. Little things like these shoeboxes can result in this. Changed lives. Don't know about you guys, but I like that picture a whole lot better than some of the others I showed you a few moments ago. And we've got the chance through Operation Christmas Child and through many other things that our church can be involved with to change lives, not just overseas, but here in our own communities. We're getting ready to enter into a season that we call Thanksgiving. So I hope with Thanksgiving you will think about these boxes. With Thanksgiving as though these boxes that we're about to send out, think of it as, as, as a Thanksgiving act of worship to Jesus because of all that He's done for you. I hope you'll pray about and think about these boxes. I hope you'll think about the pictures that I put in front of you today, the good pictures and the bad pictures that, that I put up. And I, and I hope they'll kind of stick in our, in our mind and in our conscience to where we get really, really motivated to do something to bring hope to a world around us. Next Sunday we'll be talking about praying for a harvest and we'll literally do that but we're also going to pray today i understand the message today has been different i mean especially if it's your first time here and didn't know much about operation christmas child and that's kind of the, the intent of the message today but i, I want you to understand if, if you are here and you don't know christ as your savior the same Jesus that has brought hope to my life and the hope of these other believers here and hope to believers across the world and can bring hope to these children that receive these boxes, that same Jesus can change your life today if you'll let Him, if you'll trust in Him. And when we start the invitation in just a moment, I, I invite you, if you're here as a person that's not sure that you're ready for eternity, not sure that you have faith in Jesus, I invite you to please come forward and we'll have someone to take time and share with you and show you what the Bible has to say about trusting Christ as your Savior. But for the rest of us, as we have this song that we call Song of Invitation, for the rest of us today, <clears throat> I want you, as soon as John starts to play the song in just a moment, I want everyone here to step forward if you're willing. I'm, don't do it because the preacher told you to do it. Do it because God laid it on your heart. I want you to step forward. I want you to come get one box. And I want you to go back to your seat with that one box. And during this invitation, as we wait to see if God speaks to anybody in some other way, I want you during this invitation song to sit there and pray over the box. 
I want you to look at it and see if it's for a little boy or a little girl. And it'll have their age kind of indicated, the bracket of their age group. And I want you to kind of get in your mind, you know, you don't know who it is, but God does. I promise you, God already knows exactly who will get the box. And I want you to pray with that box and pray that God will not only make them feel loved and give them hope that someone cared, but I want you to pray that they will know that God cares and that Jesus loves them and that Jesus died for them and that they'll trust Christ as their Savior. Then as soon as the service is over with, I want you to carry the box upstairs. And the countertop to where we check in children, either put it on the countertop or on the floor in front of the countertop and, and leave it there before you go today. And I also want you to visit the lobby and look and see what time slots we need someone to help with these boxes. Have I convinced you it's worthwhile today? Not if I've not, I don't know what it would take. Those pictures alone ought to be enough. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Operation Christmas Child and, and God for the impact that it's already made. But Father, we God, we pray that right now you'll you'll burden our hearts as we hold a box in our hand. And as we pray over it, Father, we pray whoever receives this box will find joy in, in their heart because not just of a, of a box full of gifts or presents for them, but Lord, they'll find true joy in their heart by going through the greatest journey study, by coming to faith in Jesus. And Lord, that you'll use it not just to impact the lives of children, but the, the lives of, of adults, the lives of, of their families. And help them come to the knowledge and understanding and faith of what Christ has done for them. Which in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.